Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Well, QE is dead. That's the way the media is reporting it. Unfortunately, it's probably dead just like, you know, the zombies in uh, The Walking Dead. Because though it may appear dead, it's going to be resurrected and it's going to be even more dangerous than before it died. You know, QE is dead. Long live QE. Unfortunately, of course, it can only live as long uh, as uh, there's support for it in the currency markets. Eventually, QE is going to die a very unnatural death. But, you know, I was quite surprised by the statement from uh, the Federal Reserve. I had expected the Fed to at least acknowledge that the economic data had been softer than they had thought and expressed some concern. I also thought they might have made up uh, some concern about inflation uh, being lower and the need to get uh, inflation to be higher. But if you actually read what the Fed produced, their statement This is probably the most hawkish, the most bullish statement I've seen come out of the Federal Reserve. I'll just read a little bit uh, from that statement. The committee judges that there has been a substantial improvement in the outlook for the labor market since the inception of its current asset purchase program. Substantial improvement. Moreover, the committee continues to see sufficient underlying strength in the broader economy to support ongoing progress toward maximum employment in a context of price stability. Accordingly, the committee decided to conclude its assets purchase program this month. That's it. No warnings. They're not worried about anything. Uh, They don't have any concerns. Remember just what? A couple of weeks ago, Bullard came out and said, you know, in light of what's going on, maybe we should pause the taper. No such concerns expressed here. Uh, No concerns about market volatility or the stock market or the real estate market. Everything is great as far as the Fed is concerned. Now, that could mean one of two things. It could mean that they're so nervous about the U.S. economy that they're afraid to even express their concerns for fear of exacerbating the decline. So they're trying to put the best possible spin they can to try to talk the markets up Uh, by pretending the economy is as strong as they once believed, right? That's one possibility. The other is they're actually dumb enough to believe that everything is great. They're so convinced that QE has worked that they don't even have an open mind to the possibility that it hasn't or that the economy hasn't responded uh, to the medicine as, uh, as, as well as they thought. Now, the market's reaction to this, the, the, the stock market initially declined, but the decline was not that big. The, the, the biggest reaction was in the dollar, which had a nice rally, and gold dropped about 20 bucks. 
I was surprised that the stock market wasn't weaker, although I expect the stock market to get a lot weaker in the days and weeks ahead. Because remember, the only reason we had this big rally in the stock market was because uh, Bullard threw an olive branch to the traders by suggesting uh, that we might pause the taper and continue QE a while longer. That's off the table now. I mean, if the market really starts to tank, there's no way the Fed can come out and throw it another lifeline. They would look completely ridiculous. They can't keep flip-flopping. So I think they've boxed themselves into a corner right now by talking about how great the economy is and by ending QE now. They can't resurrect it in a couple of weeks. So I think the market's on its own for a while, which means they're really going to have to turn up the heat before we get um, the Fed to come in. And the GDP number that came out this morning isn't going to help. GDP for the third quarter came out at plus 3.5%. And that's stronger than the 3% that had been expected. But of course, you know, the devil again is always in the details. And if you actually look beneath the surface of that 3.5% number, which by the way, I would be very surprised if that number is still 3.5% after the next couple of revisions, which we will get in the months ahead. I mean, I still think that we're going to have a number somewhere in the twos and that it will go lower in the fourth quarter. But if you actually look beneath the surface, number one, the GDP deflator was just 1.3%. It was 2.1% in the second quarter. So according to the government, we've had a big decrease in inflation in in the third quarter. And so that prices are only rising by 1.3%. Now, you know, again, I find that hard to believe. I mean, look, even Buffalo Wild Wings came out yesterday and announced a 3% price hike due to like a 40% increase in the cost of chicken. Uh, Although that price hike hadn't taken effect yet. I guess that'll take effect in the fourth quarter. But I'm sure their experience is typical uh, of other retailers. So I I don't believe that prices are only rising by 1.3%. But Nonetheless, that was the number that the government used to calculate the 3.5% increase in uh, GDP. If inflation had stayed at 2.1% instead of 1.3, right, then that 3.5% number would be eight tenths lower. It would be uh, 2. Point, what 2.7, right? If you had the same inflation in Q3 as you had in Q2. But what's more troubling is the consumer spending number. Right. And again, consumer spending doesn't really drive the economy, but it certainly drives the GDP calculation because GDP is 70 percent consumer spending and consumer spending was only up one point eight percent. Now, that's versus two and a half percent that we had in the second quarter. So a a substantial deceleration in consumer spending between Q2 and Q3. And I think that's going to continue into Q4. That was actually the weakest consumer spending number since the second quarter of 2012. So, I mean, if the economy is so robust, why is the consumer struggling with the lowest increase in spending since uh, the second quarter of 2012? Also, adding to the GDP number was a 4.6% surge in government spending. Right, This is the biggest uh, increase in government spending since the second quarter of 2009 when the government was really spending the stimulus money. 4.6%. Almost all of that was military. So I guess you can thank ISIS for the uh, uh, increase in GDP. I think that 4.6% jump in government spending 
added 0.83% to the total GDP number. Again, just X that out, and you're down in the mid-twos below a consensus. But another one-time shot in the arm, which, and this one, by the way, I think is going to be revised. There was a big drop in our trade deficit for the quarter, thanks mainly to the drop in crude oil prices. But the drop in the trade deficit all by itself added 1.3 percentage points to the GDP. 1.3 out of the three and a half. Uh, and capital investment, business fixed investment, also weak. So the, the, the meat of the GDP uh, was actually below estimates. You just got a big bump in government spending, right? And you got a drop of the trade deficit. That's a one-time effect. And we got the three and a half percent. But again, the underlying trends are weak. In fact, just yesterday, you know, the day that the Fed came out and uh, said how great the economy was, we saw that mortgage applications, purchase applications, applications to buy homes fell to the lowest level in 19 years, 19 years. And that's what the Fed's still doing QE. They're still buying mortgages. What's going to happen to purchase applications when the Fed is no longer active in the mortgage market? And what would happen to those applications if the Federal Reserve actually raised uh, interest rates? Now, I want to talk a little bit about some of the reaction in uh, on CNBC to the Fed's decision. Right? One, they had an interview with Bob Pisani. You ever see the movie Swingers with Vince Vaughn? And at the end of the movie, he stands up on the table in the diner and says, my baby's all grown up because he's talking about John Favreau's character. Well, guess what, Janet Yellen? We're going to find out if this stock market and this economy is all grown up because it's going to stand on its own right now. Right, Bob? We're going to find out if all the people have said that stocks only, only rose because of the Fed are mm-hmm. right or if the economy and the stock market can stand up on. I feel like I should say it's all grown up because we're gonna, it's going to be interesting for the next few months. Hey, the markets are all grown up now, right? They don't need the Fed, right? And then listen, listen to what Bob Pisani said. I mean, it's really unbelievable uh, the arrogance or the ignorance that some of these guys have. I think the, the evidence is the U.S. economy is rebounding nice there. I can tell you when I talk to traders uh, who have European clients, they are dying to get into this country. They're not just buying the stock market. They want to buy real estate. They want to buy anything that, that is nailed down or not nailed down to get into this country. We're the hottest economy in the world right now. <laughs> How could a guy say we're the hottest economy? We're the hottest economy in the world right now? Hottest in the world. I mean, we're not even lukewarm. What's so hot about the U.S. economy? And there are plenty of other economies uh, that have better economic growth and real economic growth than the United States that don't have trade deficits, that don't have current account deficits, uh, that aren't having all of this support. I mean, one of the reasons that the economy is lukewarm or as hot as he thinks it is, is because of all the support we get from the Federal Reserve. None of the other economies are getting as much support, really, I think, as we have over the years. And so so, so we've taken more drugs than the other economies. And so we're higher than all the other addicts. But we're going to come down very hard now that we're no longer no longer doing it. You know, listen to also Jack Berugian, right, Um, talking about what a wonderful job Janet Yellen and the Fed has done. 
think that what Janet Yellen and what this Fed have been doing is absolutely wonderful. Ah. They have been able to maneuver their way through this cycle, and they've been doing it with what? Low inflation. They're starting to create jobs. You're starting to see those numbers. We have companies making money in this environment. And you know what? You know, it's about time that we quit knocking the Fed. You know, you know, people are not unemployed because the Fed is keeping rates low. Then I got a kick out of Steve Leisman's comment. I believe Mario sitting at his desk now writing a Dear Janet thank you note right now. <laughs> right. And Euro, and, and Euro plummeted. I, 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 ha I happen to know that European central bankers have been a little miffed at the Fed. Every time they've tried to loosen their policy, the Fed loosened along with them. And today's an historic day in the sense that a very definitive break, as Austin's pointing out, going two different ways. And, and this is what Mario wants. Mario Draghi needs to get to a place where he's going to do actual Europe, uh, a European EQE, we call it, European quantitative easing. That's the expectation of the market. It's what most economists think. But in the meantime, the Fed getting a little more hawkish is a big help to Europe. Europe is glad that the Fed is finally ending their quantitative easing program so they can start their own. Because if the Fed was doing QE, then Europe wouldn't get the full benefit of its QE. Because after all, QE is designed to reduce the value of the euro so that prices rise in the eurozone. And of course, they all want inflation. And so apparently this is great news because we're getting out of the QE business just when Europe is getting into it. And now they can get the full benefit of a weaker euro and inflation because if we were all you know, debasing simultaneously, then they wouldn't get that relative advantage. And so this is supposedly great news for Europe. You know, also this week, we had more of this deflation nonsense because Sweden, you know, Sweden reduced their interest rate to zero, to zero now. And the reason they gave was because inflation was too low. And the Swedish economy is doing fine. It's not like they said, we, you know, we need to create inflation to help the economy. The economy is doing fine. They said they need inflation for the sake of inflation. That somehow, because inflation is not 2%, they need to reduce interest rates. Some people are even speculating that Sweden is going to do the dumb thing that Switzerland did and peg their currency to the euro too. So now Sweden, who didn't want to join the eurozone, now they're going to adopt their currency by default because they want to make sure they get as much inflation as Europe. I mean, that would be a reason not to want to be in the euro. You would say, you know, we don't want to be in that currency because we don't want to uh, subject our citizens to higher inflation. Now they're saying, well, we need to peg to the euro because we need to give our, our citizens the benefit of higher inflation because we all know that inflation is, is good and price stability is bad. But, you know, one of the guys on, uh, on CNBC, uh, Ron Insana, Right? And I almost thought this guy was talking to me. And he probably was, because I've been on uh, CNBC with Ron and Sana, and we've argued before. And so Ron is talking to the host about a survey that they did where uh, they polled their viewers, and they said, do you think QE helped the economy or not? And 60% said no. So that's true. In fact, it's not like it, it not only didn't help the economy, it actually hurt the economy, right, long term. It helped inflate a bubble in the short run, but we're going to have to, to pay for that. But he's talking to Ron Asana, and Ron says, well, you know, I'm not surprised 
And so I'm not surprised. You know, we've had so many people come on our air over the course of the last several years making really wild claims about what the Fed's uh, unconventional monetary policies will do. Mm -hmm. Hyperinflation, a falling dollar, spikes in interest rates, stock market crashes, none of which, by the way, we've gotten over the last five years. People who have, have been bashing the Fed have been dead wrong for this entire period of time. And yet the anti-Fed movement, if you will, still resonates with people because it's perceived the Fed has helped out bankers and businesses. Absolutely. Absolutely, more yeah. than individuals. So I think that it's a, it's a psychological disconnect here, but there's no doubt in my mind that the Fed did the right thing and continues to do so. Now, first of all, the vast majority of people who come on CNBC are not bashing the Fed or QE. There's me, my baby. I mean, you get um, a few other guys that come on and do it, but the overwhelming number of people are just like Ron and Sana. They love the Fed. They love QE. They think maybe it's too much of a good thing. But they, they never were really critical of QE. So to say that the CNBC audience has been brainwashed based on all the Peter Schiff's, right, all the guys like me who have been bashing the Fed and saying it wouldn't work, that's nonsense. I mean, the fact that 60% think that it didn't help despite the parade of people on CNBC like Ron and Sana who said the other other way? I mean, yeah. I mean, Mark Faber comes on. How often is he on? You know, talking about the problems of uh, of QE. But of course, what Rod and Sana doesn't understand is that you don't see the full impact. You don't really experience the problems of QE until you stop. Right? It's like a drug addict. Right? You don't experience the withdrawal until you stop using. See, the hard part is not starting QE. That's the easy part. The hard part is stopping. Right? The easy part is to lower interest rates to zero. The hard part is to raise them from zero. Right? The fun part is getting drunk, getting high. The not-so-fun part is sobering up. Right? So Ron and Sana seems to think everything is great. Well, we won't know that. Right? It's like he wants to give the Federal Reserve credit for a brilliant uh, flight, a safe flight, and the plane hasn't landed yet. All they've done is take off. Right. Well, put the plane on the ground and then talk about what a success the flight was. But the problem is, see, the pilots don't know how to land the plane and it's going to crash. Right. So it's not going to it's not going to feel very successful to the people who die in the explosion. Right. They might you know, maybe they think it's great now because they're still back in the, you know, in, in the plane, you know, drinking and watching movies. They don't realize uh, that it's being piloted by somebody who doesn't know how to fly. So all this premature celebration. But I tell you. Ron and Sana may think that uh, QE is, is, is a great thing and the U.S. economy is in great shape. But, you know, there's another person who doesn't agree. And that is Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan, finally, finally. Right? And it's also probably a very ironic statement. But he was speaking at the Council on Foreign Relations and just the other day, just yesterday, or, or the day before yesterday, I think. And he basically said that there is no way that the Fed can end QE without creating turmoil. Now, he was asked, you know, if he thought there would be a crisis. And he said, well, I don't really want to use that word. Well, let's leave the word crisis out. Okay, extreme instability or volatility. If I can use the substitute term turmoil. I mean, I think there are other words that could be more appropriate, like disaster, you know, economic apocalypse, Armageddon. I think uh, the Fed chairman, the former Fed chairman is sugarcoating it. But, you know, his criticism of quantitative easing, and he basically said it didn't work. He said quantitative easing didn't work. 
right? And not, but the thing is, not only didn't it work, it did harm. If it just didn't work, that wouldn't be so bad. The fact of the matter is, it did tremendous harm to the economy. It has structurally weakened the economy in ways that are only going to become apparent now that the Fed is no longer doing it. Like if, you know, you can't feel the pain because you have Novocaine. Well, when the Novocaine wears off, then you feel the pain. So it's starting to wear off now that the Fed has uh, said it's no longer doing QE. And even though it still has this huge balance sheet that it can't do anything with, can't shrink, you know, Alan Greenspan referred to that balance sheet as a tinderbox. He said it's a tinderbox. It just hasn't been lit yet. Well, meaning it's going to be lit. And he said, we're going to have a lot of inflation. He's saying the same thing as Peter Schiff. Maybe he's not saying potential hyperinflation, but you know what? He probably thinks that. He's just trying to, you know, be careful with his words. But, you know, this is too little too late. You know, why did Alan Greenspan wait for the Fed to end QE before criticizing it? Why didn't he criticize it from the beginning like I did? See, it might have made a difference if Alan Greenspan had come out against QE from the inception of the program. Maybe we wouldn't have had QE3 or QE2. Why does he wait until the Fed says it's finished? before finally saying, you know, it's not a good idea and it didn't work. I mean, did he actually have to see it not work to make that conclusion? No, he had to know it from the beginning that it wouldn't work. He just didn't want to be critical. I guess now that he knows that there's going to be a crash, he wants to somehow disassociate himself from the policy so he can say, you know, I told you so, right? Oh, I warned you. Yeah, what good are your warnings now? We needed you, you know, years ago. He should have been criticizing the Fed like I was. You know, one of the interesting things, he he's not really getting quoted in the mainstream media for what he said over at the New Orleans conference. I was down there in New Orleans for that conference, and Greenspan was the keynote speaker. And, and in that conference, again, he reiterated the fact that um, QE didn't work, that the balance sheet was a tinderbox. In fact, that's where the tinderbox comment came from, not from the, um, the the Council on Foreign Relations. That's where the turmoil but comment came from, and that the Fed can't exit without creating turmoil. But um, when, he, when, he, when he was talking about that tinderbox, right, he said, you know, he was asked specifically, well, what, what's going to happen to the price of gold? He said, it's going up. And then he was asked, well, by how much? And he said, measurably. And I think he means it's going to go up a lot. I mean, obviously, you can measure anything. But I think he means there's going to be a significant increase in the price of gold because he believes there's going to be a significant increase in inflation. But one of the most interesting comments, or maybe disturbing comments, that Greenspan made is when Mark Faber was basically rightly criticizing the Fed. He said, look, Greenspan, you were the enabler because of you, because of the Fed, because of your monetary policies, you enabled big government. You have financed these deficits. You were an enabler of the welfare state. You allowed the government to spend a lot more money than it would have been able to spend had you not been so accommodative, right? Had you, had a, had you been more independent. And then Greenspan basically had the nerve to tell Faber, you're wrong, you got, you got it backwards. It's not my fault. It's Congress's fault because Congress voted for all the spending. They voted for all the deficits. And we at the Fed had no choice but to do Congress's bidding because they ran deficits. We had no choice but to accommodate them or monetize them. And, and then, you know, Faber say, well, isn't the Fed independent? What about the Fed independence? And Greenspan says, well, whoever said the Fed was independent? Well, he did. 
Everybody did. They all maintained it was independent. And now Greenspan is saying, well, we were never independent. We're just the lapdogs of Congress. We, we have to do whatever they want. We have no independence whatsoever. We exercise no restraint or no control. Now, I've always thought that was the case. I always believe that the Fed acted as an extension of the government, as an arm of the government. But now you have a former Fed chairman admitting that there's no independence. In fact, when they all opposed the Ron Paul audit, the Fed bill, it was all about, well, we can't compromise the independence of the Fed. Well, here's Greenspan saying the Fed never was independent. I mean, it was supposed to be independent way back 100 years ago when it was conceived, but it sure as hell hasn't been independent lately. But what I would have said Greenspan to Greenspan if I had a chance, I would have said, that's not true. You could have stood up if you were brave instead of being a coward, instead of a, a traitor, a monetary traitor, I mean, you're the Benedict Arnold of our time, he could have stood up and said, you know what, I'm not going to cooperate. I am going to exercise my independence. I refuse to monetize these debts. He could have done that if he had any courage, but no, he just bowed down and he wanted to cater to uh, not only the government, but to Wall Street because everybody loved him. He was, the, he was the life of the party. He was the guy that was spiking the punch bowl. He didn't want to stop, you know. He didn't want to be the party pooper. You know, he ended up getting knighted, right, by, uh, by the queen. So he enjoyed the accolades. He enjoyed the reverence. He enjoyed the maestro, the idea that he could keep everything going. So yeah, it is his fault. I, I disagree that he just had to do what Congress said. And, you know, also at the, uh, at the conference when he was asked about the gold standard and should we go back to a gold standard? Obviously, he wants to go back to a gold standard, but he said that a gold standard is inconsistent with the welfare state. And what he meant was that politicians want to promise something for nothing. They want to run up big debts and then they want to inflate them away. And you can't do that under a gold standard, which is a reason that the gold standard is so desirable in the first place is it prevents politicians from acting recklessly and irresponsibly. If we were on a gold standard, we wouldn't be in this mess. But what also might have present, prevented some of this would have been a stronger Fed chairman if Alan Greenspan, because oftentimes when he was Fed chairman and he was asked about gold, he said, we don't need gold anymore because we have these independent Federal Reserve chairmen who are very smart and can replace gold, who can discipline governments the way gold used to. But now we know he comes out and says, well, we never disciplined anybody. We didn't, we didn't exercise any influence on government. We were just rubber stamps. We had no choice but to do what Congress wanted us to do. Well, why wasn't he saying it back then? It's all very convenient, right? All too little, too late. And now he comes out almost like a deathbed uh, confession and, and starts to tell the truth. Of course, I've been telling the truth about quantitative easing all along. I've been telling the truth about it since before they, they hatched the first round. Right. And I'm just as convinced that, you know, we're getting QE4 and it's going to take a while. It's going to take the markets or the Fed a long time to fess up and admit that. But that is exactly what I believe is going to happen. You know, I was on CNBC, not on the television. I was on CNBC.com on their website on the show Futures Now. And they brought me on there to talk about QE. And then they kind of ambushed me by bringing a clip of me two years ago. Uh, talking about gold 5,000. And of course, you know, there's all kinds of clips of me on CNBC with all sorts of predictions that have come true. But of course, they never want to show those. They just want to show this one that they found where I talked about gold 5,000 two years ago. And they want to say, hey, Peter, you said gold would be at 2,000, at 5,000 
in two years, and it's been two years, and look, you know, it was 1700 when you came on, and now it's 1200 so look how wrong you were. You know, one of the interesting things about it is if you actually listen to the sound clip that they played, and when I mentioned Gold 5000, and I said it could get there in a few years, a few years. I didn't say a couple of years. I didn't say two years. I said a few years. So it's a bit premature to come on and, 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 and harass me for that because a few is not two. A few is three, but it could also be four, five. You could also argue that that's a few because all few means is a small number that's greater than two because two is generally considered a couple. So if I said gold could be at 5,000 in a few years, I certainly wasn't saying it will be there definitely in two years. A few is an indescript number, right? Three, but it could be a little bit more. It's just not not a lot. I was talking about it's not going to take decades. It's going to happen relatively soon. That was all I said. Now, later in that interview, they asked me again about 5,000. I didn't mention 5,000, but I did say I think gold could make a big move in the next two years, next in a couple of years. A big move. A big move doesn't mean all the way up to 5,000. It could have just meant you know, another $500. I don't know. I said a big move. Now, it actually did make a big move. I mean, it made a big move down. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't mean that. But technically, I said a big move. I didn't specify direction. I only said that gold would go to $5,000 uh, in, in a few years. But they all wanted to pretend that I specifically said it would be at 5000 in two years, including this guy, Scott Nations, who came on. And, you know, this guy is on there with me. And I can't see them. And I never heard them introduce them. So I, I just thought it was another CNBC, you know, anchor, somebody that worked there that was that was harassing me. I didn't know it was another guest. I had no idea because they didn't tell me that, you know, I was on with other guests. I just thought it was, you know, one of the CNBC crew. So I'm actually talking to him as if he works for CNBC, which, you know, if, which is why I, I said the things that, that I said. But, you know, he's just saying, hey, you know, when are you going to admit you're wrong? Uh, and, you know, you're doing damage. I mean, you're giving people advice and they're losing money. I mean, look, first of all, even if you bought gold at 1700 and now it's at 1200 yeah, you're down. But there are plenty of people who have bought stocks, who have listened to stock recommendations on CNBC, where someone comes out and says, buy some stock, and it drops a lot more percentage-wise than that. I mean, stocks have been destroyed, stocks that have been recommended. And I pointed out, you know, what about all the, the people that came on in 2000, when the NASDAQ was at 5,000, touting all these stocks, they were saying the NASDAQ's going to 10,000. The NASDAQ is still below 5,000, right? Every time one of these guys comes on CNBC, they don't say, well, you were predicting higher stock prices for the NASDAQ in, in 2000, and the NASDAQ is, you know, 500 points lower than it was then, and it's been, you know, 14 years. You know, you're wrong, or you could admit you were wrong. I mean, what's the point? Yeah, clearly. I was overly optimistic on where the price of gold would go at that time. Now, the question is why? What's happened during those two years that has sidetracked or slowed down the rally in gold? A lot of things have happened to slow it down, but all the fundamentals are still intact. So gold is still poised to get to 5,000. Maybe it's going to get there uh, at a later date. Maybe it won't be three years. Maybe it'll be five years, which still might be technically a few years. But the point is, there's been a lot of people coming on CNBC giving out a lot of bad advice. And again, does he put it into context? Do I ever come on CNBC and say, put all your money in gold? No. I say, own some gold. Do I tell people to go out and borrow money on futures contracts or buy a bunch of options because I guarantee the price of gold is going to be at a certain price at a certain date? No. I caution people. 
that, you know, things can take longer than we expect, that you never know what might happen, that there's so many factors that might interfere in unknowns that nobody can anticipate. Look, the bottom line is most people still haven't figured out the box the Fed is in. They still believe that QE is ending. They still believe the Fed can increase the balance sheet. They don't, they don't realize what Alan Greenspan realizes, that the balance sheet's a tinderbox and it's going to explode, that the Fed is stuck, that they can't unwind it, that they haven't solved the problems. They've, ex- they've exacerbated them. Whatever the markets were worried about in 2008, 2009, all those problems are worse. They're not better. I know that. Alan Greenspan knows that, but the vast majority of people buying dollars and selling gold haven't figured that out yet. But eventually they will. And look, if you haven't seen uh, that that interview, it's about a 14-minute interview on the CNBC. It's up on the YouTube channel. The title of the video is, um, Is Peter Schiff Wrong on Gold? So just check it out for yourself. Meanwhile, you know, the markets are trading firmer this morning. This is the first day after the the Fed announcement. We got the GDP number, and um, the markets are initially reacting positively. But I do not expect the good times to last. I think reality is going to start to set in. You've got all of these traders now that realize that the Fed safety net is not there, even though I believe it will be there at some point. The conventional wisdom now has got to be that it's gone, right? The Fed has taken the training wheels off the bike. The problem is, you know, I say there are no other wheels. Those are the only wheels. But the guy on the bike still can't ride it without those wheels. He still depends on those wheels. And now that he doesn't think they're there, well, it's going to be it's going to be a wreck. So I think that uh, this this rally in the market is going to be short lived, and the pain is going to intensify to the point that the Fed is going to have to come back in, not just with talk, because the markets won't believe talk now. I mean, after Bullard comes out and says, you know, we need to be cautious, and then given the statement we have just had, I don't think the Fed can talk this market up anymore. It's going to have to act the market up. It's going to have to do something. Action is going to speak much louder than words. So they're going to have to come back in with QE4, and it's going to be hard. You know, I think they would have been smarter to pause. I think it would have been easier for the Fed to ratchet back up QE if it never ended it. But now that it's ended it, I think it's going to take much worse economic numbers and it's going to take a much bigger decline in the markets to bring the Fed back uh, to the QE QE table. And so there is a lot of short-term risk in the market. As far as the gold market and the currency markets, you know, maybe we're maybe we're near the lows there. I mean, the dollar hasn't had that big a rally considering what the Fed what the Fed said. Gold is sold off, but still, you know, hanging on to that twelve hundred support level. So we've been at this level before, and there is plenty of buying. So a reversal in uh, in the currency markets and the dollar could be closer. And even the oil market, I mean, oil is still hanging in now above $81 a barrel. I mean, given uh, the rally that we that we uh, had yesterday in uh, in the dollar, we didn't get any real weakness in crude oil. We're getting a little bit of weakness today, but those markets appear to be stabilizing. I think the greater risk is just in the U.S. equity markets and maybe now so in the U.S. bond market. The long-term treasury market uh, has been boosted. I think maybe by the the belief, the correct belief, that the Fed was not finished with QE, now that they're bluffing, and again, this is just one big bluff that they're ending QE. And they're really taking it, it's like a game of chicken, and they're, you know, they're really, they're really in that car, uh, you know, they're not blinking, but they will. 
at the end of the day, they always do, but they're pushing the envelope. And, and so there is going to be a lot of uh, volatility. To use Alan Greenspan's words, a lot of turmoil now that the Fed is trying to end QE. Thank you.